Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Welcome back again to The Cottage, and here we go again. We're doing part three of our introduction into the Songs of Ascent in the Hebrew Bible, and we hope you are going to enjoy this entire series as we move slowly to stop and smell the roses along the way on our journey to ascent to God's higher ground. Looking forward to more series like this. Well, we left off this morning. We've been talking about doing the songs of ascent and making that climb up to God. And we uh, previously had talked about Chesterton in a quote where we talked about what was wrong with the world. And we're trying to figure out what's wrong with us. And we need to make that climb to get a better perspective. And so I want to continue in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. As we're going to begin tonight and we're talking about making this climb upward step by step. He says, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And if you think about what Paul is discussing, we have a world that's all kind of turned upside down. I mean, we know that in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 14, they said Paul was turning the world upside down. But the world was quite strange because you had former Jews who now accept Jesus and then you've got the Greco-Roman world and they're all talking about citizenship. And so what Paul is trying to say is we are not citizens of this world and its systems. Remember, I'm, we're pilgrims. These are pilgrims that are coming. So we're going to get into these songs of ascents, but I'm still introducing them. And so we're talking about pilgrims who are going to travel possibly even to the Holy Land. And then when they get there, they're going to travel to Jerusalem. And so often more than not, you were at least required to be at Jerusalem once a year. But if you lived inside of the Holy Land, you were to show up three times a year. And when you show up, you're making that climb. And then we talked previously in our earlier messages about how in the prophets that everybody is coming to Zion. All people are being drawn and they will all receive at what God's doing. And Paul has seen that happen in his day where Gentiles and Jews are coming together at the cross and they're beginning to come. And they're joining the household of God. So we are really not citizens of this world. But we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. This is not our home. We left off. This is not our world, right? We're just trafficking in it. We're just tourists. 
Okay, we're just passing through for 70 or so. But what is it that we're trying to do while we're here? So we need to seek higher ground to get new perspective. From the higher perspective, like Moses, he was allowed to see the promised land. Wasn't allowed to enter it, but he was allowed to see from the top of the mountain. We need to climb so that we can see things from God's perspective. Because God knows, Paul says, there's the God of this world, but we also know that this world belongs to our Father, and he wants it back. And Jesus has came to give it back to us, but it's like D-Day. We just got our foot on the beach. Now we've got to move against the enemy until we get that victory that we're after. So we need to see as we make this climb, and this is what they're doing. They're making this climb to higher ground into the things of God. Now, (laughs) oftentimes we see things as quick fixes. Get the duct tape out and we're going to fix it. And salvation has been reduced to a 30-second one-time event for people that involves no true transformation. Whereby I recently went to a church and they they keep baptizing people and they don't care if you get baptized 18 times, you know. Baptism is nothing anymore. Who waters down baptism? But they did a good job. But that's just what they see. Come and just jump up here and get wet. And it doesn't matter if your life changes. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Yes, he does. He loves you just as you are. But he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to take you to higher ground. He wants you to walk through these steps. Now, all of us are going through something. Everybody's got a story to tell. Some of us are going through a lot more stuff than others. But we all got to make this step by step process no matter what we are carrying in our life or who we're carrying. Maybe we're carrying that person and cut a hole in the roof to drop them down to Jesus. But we're going through, we're all going through a lot. Everybody is. Some more than others. And some different times, different seasons, it's worse like the weather. Sometimes we have bad weather, sometimes we have good weather. But we've got to make the climb. Again, Hebrews 10, we are not those who quit. We are not those who quit, who fall back. But there's no quick fixes here. But that's what we've sold Christianity as, as an instant ramen noodles, just add water, and that's it. No, and that's why nobody wants to go to church anymore. Because it's now a quick fix. We just fix the real quick ramen noodles, and this is the gospel, and that's it. And we're not getting any higher. We're not getting any more like Jesus. We're not making this ascent that we talked about this morning. So in Luke 14, verse 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and I should have got a photo for this, and counted the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. My friend was here this morning, Ben. We went to Asbury together. Asbury's having a revival right now. But I always remember, and I should have got the photo. I'm sure I could find it online. But going to Asbury, my mother was always amazed when we make that trip out there and driving out there and see all those horse farms. Remember that? But there was this one famous building where someone decided to build a replica of an old English castle. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You drive by that thing, go, wow. Now, it wasn't huge, but then I don't think the, English, the castles in England are all that big either. You know, we think they're big because we see them on the movie screens, but I don't think the people could build such big things back then but anyways beautiful 
But the story behind it is some guy built that castle as a model replica of something he saw in Europe. But he ran out of money. There's nothing inside. It's all show. You can't go inside and do anything because there's nothing inside. Because he didn't count the cost. But it's this beautiful exterior. It all From the road, it looks wonderful. But there's nothing inside. It's empty. Because the guy who financed it didn't count the cost. When we don't count the cost, we're not willing to pay the price. We can look good on the outside, but there's nothing inside. We are empty. And listen, I think we've been tested lately and the church has not fared well because the world is crying, the king is naked. The king is naked. We have carried on looking good, but what have we really offered? And so what... You hired me to do, when you hired me, you said you have to develop a discipleship program to grow our church. And you maybe thought that meant I need to add people from outside coming in. But what I'm doing is trying to grow the people who are already here. Into maturity, taking you to higher ground, to a higher place. So that when people see you and I, they're going to want what we got. And they're going to find out, hey, these people aren't empty. The reason why the churches are empty is the same reason why that castle is empty. Because we haven't counted the cost. We're not willing to pay the cost. We have a 30-second answer to all your problems. Just say the name of Jesus and go back out the door and don't be any different than you were when you walked in the door. Because God loves you just as you are. And we've offered emptiness. And it's in the dark places that we begin to really, truly embrace God for who he is. And we're going to go through some of that. So this is still, we're going to take, the title of the book is Long Obedience. We're talking about these 15 songs, but we're doing a long introduction because I need to set the foundation for what we're going to do so that you can make this journey. It goes on in verse 33, same chapter. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, you cannot be my disciple. Disciples. We've forgotten what the word disciples means. We don't even talk about disciples anymore. Does anybody talk about all oh, those are those 13? I mean, 11. I mean, how many were there? Oh, 12. Yeah. Jugheads. We don't even know the Bible anymore. Why? We don't even use it anymore. Don't need it. We don't even know what discipleship is. We need to discuss what it means to be a disciple. One who is trained by a master to replicate what the master does. My greatest goal as a teacher is always to teach my students to a point that they will go out and become greater than I am. I teach them what I know so when they leave, they can go and get more. I learned as a Ph.D. that I know nothing. My name is Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Because there's so much out there I don't know that I need to learn more. Yes, my teachers taught me to a level, but they taught me how I can play at their level and I can learn and do research and get more. And we definitely, as we said this morning, we need to be going after more, not less. More of God. 
not less. Matthew 19.27 says, Then Peter and then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? In other words, why are we believing? We, we've forsaken it all. Now what are we going to get? What are we going to get? The short-sightedness. They could not see what God was offering. We're wanting to know what we can get. And we need to offer that water that Jesus offered at the well where he said, once you drink this, you're not going to want to drink anything else. And it's going to feed you as a river of living water inside you that you will never thirst again. Because there's lots of thirst out there. There's lots of fires that need to be put out. And we have that rivers of living water within us to give to others in their time of need the same time we can receive from others in our time of need. In Matthew 13, verses 5 and 6, some fell, talking about the four soils, some fell among stony places where they had not much earth. Not much earth. And forthwith they sprang up. Oh, they were so excited. They sprang up. You know a seed, if you plant the seed, a farmer can tell you, The Bible tells you, you take a seed, you put it in the ground, what happens? It dies. But then in the process of its death, it starts putting down roots. But if there's no way to go down because it's too stony, then those roots will shoot up fast. Wow, man, I just planted that the other day and they shoot up. But it has no root system. What happens? Because it had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorching because they had no root. They withered away. So first you've got to get the roots down deep and then pull out the deep things and then you're going to start growing up and then you're going to be able to produce the good, the 30, 60, 100 fold. But we have this instantaneous gospel now that we just say, okay, just say the name of Jesus and I'm okay, you're okay, and everybody's okay, but no one's like Jesus anymore. And that's not okay. And we're looking for something far greater. As a matter of fact, the church has become a tourist trap. This, I love this photo. It says, great Alaskan tourist trap. Like you go inside there, you're really going to see Alaska. But that's what we're doing. We're a tourist trap selling a bunch of trinkets and jinkets to people. Telling them that, you know, but they never experience Christ. Just like you won't experience Alaska in there. (laughs) You can show everybody, look what I bought. (laughs) We've become a tourist trap. We're not supposed to be a tourist trap. We're trying to get people like I'm trying to get my wife from her country into ours. We're trying to get people into their far country into the kingdom of God. We're tourists in this life, but we don't need to get caught in this life's tourist traps and forget from which we have come into by virtue of Jesus Christ. No more trinkets. This world needs Jesus. Apparently, he's decided he's not coming yet. He left us in charge. So the only Jesus this world is going to get is the one that we give. And if we don't give it, they won't get it. And we become just a bunch of tourist traps selling trinkets. 
and there's no real transformation happening. And that's why the churches are empty, because the churches are empty. Just like that castle. Beautiful from the outside, but nothing going on inside for the kingdom of God. And we don't want to be like that. We need to get back to what Christ has called us to. That many keep forgetting about. That old time religion that we want. But are we willing to pay the price to get it? Are we willing to make the steps to get to that place? And not just be a simple tourist route. But actually offer them the gospel. By actually offering them Jesus. Actually offering. Now. Again we're dealing with two words here. Disciple. And the way we understand disciple. Out of the New Testament. Is actually more aligned akin to an apprentice. Who takes up a trade. And learns from the master. The trade. Where Jesus had his disciples, they were learning from him so they could go out and do. They were baptizing. So that when Peter went to the temple and said, silver and gold, I have none. He was able to apply his trade and did what Jesus would have done in that situation. You know, we have that book, In His Steps, by Charles Shelton. What would Jesus do? Exactly. What would Jesus do if he was here right now? He wrote a sequel. Most people don't know. He is here. (laughs) As if Jesus showed up. What would it be like if he showed up in our churches today? What would he do? Would he even go to the church? Would he find himself somewhere else? Because he'd be more of a foreigner to the churches. (laughs) He's done that already. He came and the religious people did not like him. As such, they handed him over to the Romans and said, do what you will not let us do to this man. How different are we than they? Disciples are those who are apprenticing. And we must become disciples, followers of Jesus, to walk as Jesus walked, to be as he would. Such that there are those nurse practitioners you go to and you see them instead of the doctor because they're so much like the doctor that 90% what the doctor can do, they can do. We need to be something like that. Where we are able to do. That we're not just empty, pretty faces. But we're actually functioning as the body of Christ. The night you voted whether or not to have me as pastor, I taught you out of Ephesians 4 that the pastor's work is to raise up the people for the work of the ministry. That we all are the body of Christ. Each of us is a member, individually, coming together to be Christ to this world. Disciples who are trained so that's what we got to do. And, and our model is Jesus. Christians should be Christ in us. And that's the Greek word that we have there. Another word is this word I keep talking about a sojourner or pilgrim. It represents this idea of going to God. The Islamic religion have their, their hajjahs where they make pilgrimage and they go off to their holy places. This is the, where do they get it from? They got it from this. Abraham. All those others who came and traveled this side, but they were looking for what? Something else, Hebrews 11 says. They were looking for 
something else. They were looking for the kingdom of God here upon the earth. Just think, if you read the Bible correctly, when we get to Genesis 11, God's like, everybody's left. He had no one. So then what's he do? What am I going to do? The angels are watching. What's he going to do? He goes, let's see. He grabs this guy named Avram. I know you're an idol worshiper, but let's go show the rest of the world what it means to follow me. And I'm going to send you into a strange land as a foreigner. But I'm going to show them what it's like for someone to follow me. Because they've all chosen. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do it God's way. We're going to do it our way. He's fine. Go do it with your gods and go off and do your thing and see how well that works for you. And it didn't. And very few of those religions back then are in effect today. There's a few nuts on the internet that are trying to worship Zeus again after so many centuries. Other than that, it's really those ancient religions are not really in effect much in that part of the world. Why? Because God moved. And the only thing left in that part of the world primarily is Christianity, Judaism. The rest of them, who are worshiping like the Hittites? They're not. Those gods are not being worshipped today. Because God changed in the faith of Abraham, and we are still children of that faith. So we are just traveling here but this is not our final destination. This is not where we put our main emphasis. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. God spoke these promises to them, but they didn't see them. They didn't receive them. But having seen them from afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Looking for something far greater. And so they developed these psalms so that when they traveled to Jerusalem for those festivals, that they would sing these as they made the steps. They would sing these 15 songs, psalms, to remind them, to prepare them, to get ready. Now we are going to be having Easter, unless the Lord decides it's game over. But as long as he's going to tarry, we're having Easter. We need to prepare to make this climb into what God has. So I'm proffering these 15 songs that we might do this. John 14, 5. We, we did this earlier in the previous sermon. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus walked away and he said, I'm going to go even higher. He said, I'm leaving. Thomas says, well, show us the way. Show us the way. What is the way to the Father? Show us. And what did he say? We all know this. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no life worth living apart from me. If your life doesn't have Jesus in it, it's not worth living. You'll want to blow your brains out because you'll go crazy. That's what happened when my sister died. So many people came up to us. We clogged the funeral home. They couldn't get near the place. The, whole, the traffic was jammed and everything when she died. And everybody came up and said the same thing. Only you can get through this. We know you can manage this. We know because you know God. 
If this happened to anybody else, they'd be crushed. But because you know Jesus, we know you can get through this. They spoke about our family, saying if this happened to anyone else, they would go. But not this family. Because you know the Lord. He is the only life worth living. The only life. And yet there are so many people living without him. Even the guy across the street is coming sometimes and not coming. Coming sometimes and not coming. He can't decide if he wants to do Jesus or not. He's going to have to figure it out because his life is not going all that well without Jesus. But he's, he's lost. He's struggling. Because he can't seem to get it. And we have to offer this. This is the only way. We often say that. This is the only truth. We often say that. But we don't ever teach that this is the only life. This is the only life. Because anything else ultimately is death. Or leads to death. It might as well be death. Because why? He's the author of life. Life, it's partnership with Jesus. Participation in God is life. Anything else is death. No one, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we're making the same ascent that Jesus did when he ascended. And we sing that song, lift Jesus higher. That same ascent that Jesus made. We're making that ascent. Because then by that all men will be drawn unto the Father. Hebrews 12, very familiar passage. Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This is all these people that we just read about in Hebrews 11. That received, never received the promise, but they saw it from afar off. All of these are a testimony. They're a witness to us. Because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. And it's amazing that Hebrews, the author of Hebrews only talks about sin in the singular. He's only talking about one sin here. The sin of not knowing Jesus. The sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now we talked about from faith to faith in our previous sermons. From faith to faith and adding to your faith. Here we go, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to look at this. The author and the finisher. Okay, now, don't get excited, but we're going to, you know, supplement what you see on your screen with what other people have done with this verse. Looking at the Greek, because... The author of Hebrews chapter 12 was not writing in the King James, okay? He's writing in something called Greek 2,000 years ago, okay? So I just want to look at how others have translated it. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. As Larry prayed, we're not perfect. But he is the one who perfects us. In other words, we're trying to get as close as we can in the now until we get to the not yet that Kenneth Miller has experienced. Some of us, it just seems like the gospel that I have been running across 
is, oh, well, you know, I said a prayer to Jesus when I was five years old, and, and that's it. As if that's all that matters. And nothing else matters. The pioneer. Pioneer. In other words, Jesus showed us the way, and then he wants us to walk the same way. So it's not just author, but pioneer is built into that language from the NRSV. And this is the updated edition. It just came out. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the ESV. The founder. He founded it. He started it. He began it. He showed us the model of what we're supposed to do. But we're so far away from that. Here's the New Jerusalem Bible. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who leads us in our faith. I love this because this fits the Greek really well. Aside from the fact the Greek has one word here, the New Jerusalem Bible decides to break that one word down into the English words that you can understand. Who leads us in our faith and brings it to perfection. He will bring you to perfection. But he wants to lead you. He's leading. We follow him. We're disciples after the pattern of Christ. He's leading us in our faith. He's our leader. And you should be able to follow your leader. If you can't follow the leader, then you need a new leader. <laughs> He's the leader. We follow his example. Originator is another way to put it in the Greek. This is the Greek word if you want it. The originator. In the Bible since the lexicon, it's trailblazer, a person who founds or establishes some institution, especially understood as having made a breakthrough in some area. Other words that I found, founder, leader, captain, in the ancient sense of a captain. In the ancient sense of an ancient army, the highest position was the captain, often the king. And just like you see some of these old movies, you ever seen what is a Henry V? You ever seen that movie, Henry V? Where the king stands out there and he gives a speech and then he leads them into battle. They follow him. The king is not sitting back in some boardroom going, okay, now boys, I want you to move the privates in. And oh, well, we lost a few privates, you know. That was the problem with David and Bathsheba. He was supposed to be leading the army. He was home with Bathsheba. He was supposed to be the captain. And he would go first and they would follow him into battle. Not sitting back in a boardroom saying, all right, let's use a $450,000 million missile to blow a balloon from Illinois out of the sky. Because we're America. Let the world see. That's why I put the Alaskan you know, tourist in there. That people in Illinois says, we had a balloon in Alaska, we can't find it. I have something to do with NORAD. I don't know. Anyway, <coughs> captain, beginner, he begins it and we follow him. Initiator, starter, establisher. All of these are ways that we can understand that to give you an idea what's behind that word that the King James translates author. What he's implying there. Of our faith. Ooh, we're going back to faith. Go back to what we talked about faith last week. Faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But see, another way I keep trying to tell you is you can understand that word as faith or faithfulness. 
In other words, we believe and we become more like Him and we become faithful. And that's what He's asking in the book of Hebrews for the people to be, to remain faithful to Christ. Loyal to Christ. To stay with it. It's easy to stop. It's easy to quit. Hebrews is asking us not to quit. We're not those who quit. We're going to reach this summit. We are going to climb this mountain. We're going to reach it. We're going to use these 15 songs in this series. And I don't know how long it's going to take us to go through this series. But we're going to use these 15 songs to help you understand how that you can do this and not be a quitter. Because that's what Nietzsche said. The church is quitting. And God is dead because I can't see him anymore because nobody wants to do it God's way. That's what Chesterton said. It's not the fact that Christianity is broken. It's Christianity has not been tried. No one wants to pay the cost to do what Christianity is. That's what's wrong with the world. The Christians stop being Christians. So it's not only just faith, but it's also faithfulness. This word carries that power throughout the scriptures. And just as Jesus was faithful, we need to be faithful. And finally, from the, ne- the Message Bible. This is, this is the translation that Dr. Peterson eventually translated the entire Bible into, but it's because he wrote this book, he started translating these 15 songs because he said no one could understand them in any translation that he saw. So he translated these 15 songs, and then people said, we want more, and he translated the rest of the Psalms, and then he translated more of the Bible, and pretty soon he translated the entire Bible. So this is, again, supplementary. I want you to understand this is supplementary to what you have in your Bible. But this guy is an excellent scholar. This is not the Passion Translation. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all those veterans cheering. It means we'd better get on with it. (laughs) When I keep telling you we're all waiting on God, hey, God's waiting on us. We need to get on with it. Strip down. Start running. This is the race. Start running. And never quit. Never quit. No extra spiritual fat. Ooh, boy. Ooh. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. He showed us that as a human, this is possible. Now, we don't necessarily have to be like Peter and be crucified upside down on the cross, but we still need to do this race. Study how he did it. Oh, I love this. Study how he did it. Study how Jesus did it. Because that's our model. And that's how we're going to get it done. If we don't see how Jesus did it, we're never going to achieve it. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That's key. He never lost sight of where he was headed. If we lose sight... My wife's all the time on to me. If my eyes drift while I'm driving to work, she doesn't like it. You keep your eyes on the road. Very dangerous. She's very particular. Keep your eyes on the prize. Is that not what the word of God says? Because she doesn't want to come home to a funeral. Mine or someone else's. He never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating 
finish in and with God. This is an exhilaration. We're talking about like the Olympics. We're talking about the whole world watching and you're competing and you're going for that prize. You're going for God. There's nothing greater that you're going for. You're going for God in and with God. He's with you every step of the way. The Holy Ghost is with you, alongside you, cheering you on. They're all cheering you on. Come on, you can do this. And he could put up with anything along the way. Jesus did. He could put up with anything along the way to show us that we can put up with anything along the way. And boy, a lot of us have had a lot of stuff dumped on us. Cross, shame, whatever. You fill in the blank. And now he's there. He's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. And I'm going to add again and again and again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love how he does this. Now, this is, again, he's just trying to get you excited about the text. He's trying to bring it into modern language for you to understand it. But he's not trying to replace what you have. He's just trying to get you excited about what you have. Because he realized when he wrote this book and he looked at these psalms, he's like, yeah, but nobody's connecting with these words. So he said, I have to put it in words that people connect with because they're not getting it, because they can't do Greek. They can't do Hebrew. They can't see the passion behind these words. And so he wrote the Message Bible. And I want to leave you with this tonight. We're doing this book. You can read the book to follow along what he's doing. I'm obviously just going to... Do a lot of supplementation. I'm not just doing what he does in the book. I'm hitting some highlights, things I'm pointing out that he does, but then I'm also bringing you a lot of extra stuff that I want to bring for us to make this climb step by step to get higher, to get to the higher ground, to get to that perspective that they were moving to. Because he climbed the highest hill, Calvary. He climbed the highest hill of Calvary to show us that he is victory over the greatest power the enemy has over us, and that's death. He's dealt with everything that the enemy has thrown at him. Corinthians says that all the powers, if they'd known, they never would have done it. They threw everything they had at it, and they had nothing left. There was no more weapons in their arsenal that they could throw at him. And he's like, that's all you got? That's it. You know, some people like to go to Revelation and they think Revelation 12 talks about the third of all the angels. Listen, even if they had all the angels, they still can't beat God. Doesn't matter how many angels they got. They still can't win against God. And if we are in, as he says, and with God, isn't that exhilarating? Isn't that such a wonderful thought? So it's okay to use something like this to help you supplement your reading so that you get excited again about God's Word. And I want you to see that, to get passionate about His Word again. Because sometimes we read these passages over and over again and we think we've memorized them. Well, I've read that before. Hey, God, here's the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That you know, it's a, 
It becomes like that to us sometimes. And we need to see these words again, afresh and anew. So I don't mind using other translations as supplementary. I don't mind that at all. I think it's great to cause us to, again, go back to what we've been reading and make sure that we see what he's trying to say to us. And when we get it, <laughs> then we're going to be like this, like Jesus, and we're not going to quit. And we're going to understand that this is the greatest show on earth. This is it, what Jesus is doing. Because it lasts forever unto everlasting life without end. It is our hope amid this darkness. It is our hope that he's coming again. But there are so many that need to know he's actually here now in you and me. And I pray that we receive that. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would be refreshed, restored, renewed, excited to know that you've already done this and we just need to follow you just as I followed my father-in-law up that mountain and just as I prayed and you did it. It was you that did everything. I pray that we will go step by step into all that you have for us as you lead us. Because angels long to look into what's happening here. <laughs> angels in heaven long to look into what you're doing in us here upon the earth. It's about time we get excited if they're excited about what's happening down here. It's about time we get excited. Help us to see what angels long to see. And help us to make the other religions jealous. Let's show this world what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a pilgrim who is following the pioneer. You've led the way, and all we need to do is follow in your steps. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.